better and better. What God is doing to put this family together. And then through it, we see that the line of David is, 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 is formed. And then through David, Jesus Christ comes. It was no mistake. And it wasn't an accident. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't happenstance. It was orchestrated by God. What an engagement. And when I think about it, there still is no, relatively no description of Ruth. Other than in one place where Boaz says, you could have chosen possibly younger men, but you didn't. There were obviously maybe in her, in, in her uh, demeanor there was an age factor where she may have been younger. But there is really no description of who Ruth is at this point. Other than her moral character is upstanding. She's a hard worker. But let's look at this story. As we go through it, I want to just draw out a few things that I think we can learn from in the story. So right away in verse 1, we see an interesting factor here. It says, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find security for you so that you will be taken care of? The bottom line, there is a reality to their circumstance. And in Naomi's mind, she is telling Ruth very clearly, I'm not going to be here forever. And what we really need to do is find you a husband. What we really need to do is find someone who's going to take care of you because I will not always be here. And so they have this question here. Now isn't Boaz our relative? And the idea behind this is that he is the Redeemer. He is the one who has the ability and the wherewithal to provide for her security if he should so choose to do so. He has the, even the right in some regards to take her, but you'll find out later in chapter uh, 4 that there's a problem to the situation that God will resolve. But the bottom line is there's a reality here that I'm not going to be here forever, but we need to figure out what we're going to do here. And I can imagine, remember in this whole scenario here, she is building this relationship with Boaz, is she not? I mean, Boaz has obviously got her attention, the fact that she's a hard worker. She's out there from morning till night. And, and, and history tells us that these, these seasons lasted a roughly seven to eight weeks. So for seven or eight weeks, she's out there in the fields working from morning till night. And, and Boaz is, is getting a little bit keen on who she is. You know, leave a little extra for her, guys. And, and don't bother her. If she's hungry, give her food. If she's thirsty, give her to drink. But don't humiliate her. Just make sure that she has plenty. In fact, leave the good stuff behind for her so she has plenty to pick up and bring back to her family. So for these seven or eight weeks, Boaz is taking a keen interest in her. Verse number three, I'm sorry, verse two, that this evening he will be winning barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume oil, and wear your best clothes. Is she not getting all dolled up for a purpose? He said, no, I want you to get washed up. The, the Hebrew language here is really interesting. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but commentaries is really interesting what they say about this whole process. This is not just hopping in the shower for three minutes and saying, I'm going to get dressed and go out for the night. This is a process whereby she is getting cleansed. I mean, this if she could bring it back into the year 2015... She's getting her nails done. She's getting a pedicure. Uh, and she's getting a manicure. And she's putting on the best makeup. And she's, you know, she's got people working on her hair. She is get, going through the works, according to the original language, because it's all for a purpose. It's for a reason. So wash. You know, this is a full treatment. 
Get on the perfume oil. I mean, make yourself smell good. Make yourself noticeable to Him when He finally, finally notices you. Put on your Sunday best, if you will. Put on your nicest clothes. This is all for a good reason. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Think about this. Even the timing of it was important as Naomi was laying out the guidelines of what she was supposed to do. Make sure his stomach is full. Make sure that he is drunk and he is satisfied. Make sure that he is completely happy, at ease, before you approach. And then he says this, verse 4, When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain what you, to you what you should do. I want, us to, I want us to be very clear on this. And I was amazed that, I, in fact, I was even angry a little bit as I read various commentary on, the, on, on this passage of Scripture. There are actually biblical scholars out there, and I just totally lost my, my respect, by saying that this was a sexual move. It was nothing to do with that whatsoever. In fact, there are very things in the, in the Jewish uh, uh, Mishnah that, that forbid this. She could not go in there under certain circumstances. She followed the guidelines. She, she, she made herself aware of, uh, with Naomi what the Jewish customs were. And she followed them. There was no inappropriateness here whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. It was completely, completely respectable in what she did. Uh, according to the Mishnah, had she had any sexual innuendo whatsoever... It would have been forbidden completely. This is truly, as you hear the, the old nursery rhyme, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. That's not just theologically correct. It's right. That was the order. That was the process. Love, then marriage, and then the benefits of marriage, which may or may not result in a child. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. Can I just make a side point here just for a few moments this morning? I can't tell you how many times over the years somebody has said, well, Pastor, what should I do in this situation? Or i got this circumstance going on. What do you, how do you think I should respond? And how many times have our hearts broken? Because we gave advice, we looked to Scripture, we say this is what God's Word says, this is what the Bible says, and then they go off and do their own thing completely contrary to what we've advised. Now let me just say this. I'm not God, but God's Word is clear. I'm just the, the messenger of the message. But so often we want to do what we want to do, and as I've said before, and I've used the illustration, we kick the door down and we say, well, look, look, look at the door that got open. Right, but do you look at yourself? You're all sweaty and, and your feet are sore from kicking so hard. There are times that God has the door locked for a reason. There are times when God says, don't go through that door. And I, there's a reason why I don't want you to go through that door. And there are times that we need to heed the advice of, the, of older, wiser people that God has sovereignly placed in our life. And when we go to them, God's Word says, in a multitude of counselors, there is what? There's much wisdom. And so we would do ourselves wise, and we do ourselves a favor that as we ask for advice, that we would heed it, that we would follow it, that we would put it into play, because it works. 
But Ruth was of utmost character. And she looks at Naomi and says, I will do everything you say. Why? Because this was of great importance. This was a weighty decision that they're talking to, talking about. And verse 6 says this, She went down into the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her. She did it. She didn't just say she was going to do it. She followed through. And there's lots to be said about following through on our commitments. When we say we're going to do it, do it. So verse 7, After Boaz ate and drank and was in good spirits, and once again, in the Hebrew language, there's another whole connotation going on here. In other words, he was completely satisfied. He was in a great mood. He was relaxed. And his spirit was festive. And he was tired now and he was going to rest. And at that moment, when his stomach was full, when he was in good mood, when he was resting, he's laying down by the pile of barley. Then she went in secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, let me just tell you something about the background of this. Once again, at this point, he is sound asleep. He doesn't necessarily know just yet what has happened. He does not know that somebody has lifted up the corner of his pallet and that blanket, that covering, and has put her feet underneath it. How do we know that? Well, verse 8. It says, At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, Who are you? The word startled there is an interesting word. And there are numerous commentaries that say that is better translated, he was shivering. It was a cool night. Maybe the breeze was flowing. I mean, he is resting. And why not? The famine in the land was over. The crops were good. He had eaten. They had a festive time. He was relaxed. He is sound asleep. And now he's getting a little bit cold in the, in the, in the breeze of the night. And he starts shivering. And it's only as he is beginning to shiver that he startles himself, wakes himself up from shivering, and wants to adjust his blanket. And he notices something very abnormal. What in the world? Can you imagine? Put yourself in his position just for a moment. This is not the norm of doing things as we just saw. In today's culture, we try to figure out this elaborate scheme, secret scheme, kind of get very few people in on it so the word doesn't get out, and we present them with a big rock if we can. Not in this day. God had other plans. And so he, she does what Naomi, her mother-in-law, has advised. And she simply responds, I am Ruth, your slave. Spread your cloak over me, for you are a family redeemer. This was a huge thing. And remember, Naomi said, as you do this, he will tell you what you should do next. So it wasn't as if she was going in there blindly, but at the same time, she was trusting what her mother-in-law said. And trusting that whatever was to be would take place. So she replies, spread your cloak over me. And this is once again another interesting word here. 
the covering. In fact, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 12, it's the same translated word. It says, May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings, that's the word there, the wings you have come for refuge. Wings is that word covering. That cloak. That covering. How he responds is of utmost importance and significance here. So she says to Boaz, spread your cloak, spread your covering over me, for you are a family redeemer. Now, this word cloak literally means uh, the talith. It, it, it was a special blanket, a special quilt, if you will, that has great significance. Ruth was not necessarily cold as she went in there and uncovered his feet. That wasn't the scenario here. She was referring to the Jewish custom of the groom placing the talith on his bride. The significance of this act is this. If he then covered her, if he chose to cover her, what he was saying was, I am making a commitment to take care of you and to be the authority over you in your life. That this moment, there is a step of faith that Ruth is taking on. She is literally putting herself out there. He had the right to reject. He had the right to accept. But as she uncovers him, he begins to shiver and realize that his feet are uncovered and that there's a woman laying here. In that moment, he has a choice to make. And I don't know about you, but I'm not really, really good at making decisions at, oh, dark 30 in the middle of the night. Whoa, 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 what's, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? As we wake up in the middle of the night, immediately Boaz knew exactly what was taking place. And in a moment... He makes a commitment as he covers her to say, I will be your authority. I will take care of you. And she follows this Jewish custom. In verse 10, you see this. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. And here he exercises this freedom here and and makes this commitment. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So to the other theologians who say this was a sexual innuendo move, you're full of bull. Everybody in this town knew that she was very noble, that she is a woman of moral character, that she followed Jewish tradition and custom. And he, because he could see, it may have been a different situation if this was day one. But remember, seven or eight weeks have passed. For seven or eight weeks, she has put herself out there and she has proven her character. She has proven herself of, of, of a woman of hard work. And now he says, everybody has seen this. Not just me. But everybody who's been working around here 
has noticed your character. So he says, don't be afraid. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So verse 12, he says, yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. Think about this just for a moment. You're still new in this country. You've left your land not knowing what was going to happen. You're in a new place, new environment, new circumstances. And thus far, you really don't have a future. But in a moment, God changes everything. Isn't that awesome? And he, by the commitment that he makes right then and there, says, I will be your authority. I will take care of you. He said, I will spread my wings. I will spread my covering, my talit over you. And accept this responsibility. I wonder, what is it God wants us to learn from this story? It's more than just a really cool story that boy, things were done differently in that day and age, and boy, that's just really cool. There's more to it than that. I think, first of all, it's a story of faith. How's your day-to-day faith? How is it? Do you trust God that He's going to provide? say, well, things are just difficult. Yeah, they are difficult. But is God on the throne or is He not? Does God not say that He's going to take care of us? Do we do we, but day to day, do we believe it? Do we live as though we're going to take care of these things ourselves, or is our faith and trust in God day to day? It was a step of faith after step of faith after step of faith for Ruth. Everything was different. Everything was changing. And yet she just trusted God. And the second thing I see here is that there's a time to heed advice. Naomi, I'll do whatever you say. I'm not really sure how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to do whatever you say. I believe God's in control of this. He's willing to heed advice. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to listen to advice? I often wonder, and I've said this to my wife many times over the years, is if you don't want my opinion, why do you ask for it? Not, not to my wife, but about other people. <laughs> I had to clarify that. No. But there's so many times people say, well, what do you think? And you give, well, you're asking my opinion, I'll tell you, but then you go and do the exact opposite. And then we see the result of it. More hurt, more pain, Are we willing to heed advice? And the most important advice we can heed is this right here, folks. This is what God has for us. There's no accident that you have one in your hands right now. I believe in principle God's Word will answer every question we have if we're willing to listen. In order to listen to God speak, you've got to get in it. There's no shortcuts there. No shortcuts. 
I can't remember. In this church and in other churches I've been a part of, it's usually the men that say, well, I don't like to read. The print is kind of small and there's not enough pictures and ha, ha, ha. No, I don't read. Shame on us. Let's get in it. That's how God speaks to us. Get in it and read. Discipline yourself, men, to read. I'm not saying you've got to read a chapter a day or five chapters a day or a book a day. Read till God speaks to you. Get in it. And then I see there's a third principle that we can learn from this passage of Scripture. It's patience. Anybody really want to learn some more patience? I don't. Just being honest. Because along with patience comes more tribulation. And I don't want any more. I want a life of ease just like all of you do. God kind of allows those circumstances providentially in our life so that we have to learn it. I'm not patient by nature. And it seems like the older I get, the less patient I am. Yeah, you're laughing because you're in the same boat. But can you imagine just for a moment here? Read this again. Don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you're a woman of noble character. But, yes, it's true that I am a family redeemer. If there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning if he wants to redeem you. Can you imagine? That was probably a very long night. And then there's a circumstance of, I wonder what the other redeemer is going to say. Who is this other guy? I wonder if he'll even want me. He knows I'm from, he knows I'm from Moab, right? I wonder what he'll say. I wonder what he'll think. And on the other hand, it may have been a short night because Naomi knew, or Ruth knew everything was in God's hands. Either we're going to exercise faith and patience, or we're going to exercise worry and a lack of faith. What side would you land on? The waiting game. In kind of getting ready for this message, I watched some of these different proposals that took place on YouTube. And one of them I read was just an interesting story how a man had gotten cold feet over and over again. And in getting cold feet, he, uh, he literally, as he bought the ring, he finally got a few moments with the prospective fiancé. And he got such cold feet that he threw the ring at her and took off running. She chased him for a block so she could say yes to the question he didn't ask. But then there's other scenarios where the man got down on one knee, but because he had cold feet so many times, she didn't know if he was going to carry through and made him wait five minutes, five months to say yes to see if he was really going to be faithful. I don't know where you guys are at in those scenarios. Whether it was immediate, whether it was fear and trembling, whether it was whatever, but she had to exercise some patience here in waiting on the Lord. How good are you at waiting on the Lord? So many verses that talk about not being anxious. Wait on the Lord again, I say wait. Are you willing to wait? You see, in our culture, we're used to having everything right here, right now. Let me just give you an illustration. I've shared it before. 
most young couples that get married today, most, I would say a large percentage of them, starting off with a home, two cars, house full of new furniture, a big screen TV in every room. Am I right so far? I remember the day I walked out of my house for the last time. My dad says, you see that, you see that, you see that, you see that. It took your mother and I 30 years to get it. Don't think you needed it the first year. I'll never forget that. If God has blessed you with all those things as a new couple, I'm not bashing you. I'm just saying we have not learned to wait. We live in a here and now culture. And here's a picture of somebody who has asked to wait. I'm going to go into town. I'll talk to the other Redeemer. He wants to redeem you. Wonderful. Let it happen. If he doesn't, I'm going to take that responsibility. The waiting game is not something we like, whether it's 24 hours or 24 days or 24 months. We don't like to wait. And there are times that God just wants us to be patient. His answer may be yes, but it may not be right now. Sometimes it's no. But are we willing to wait? I love this story because there's so many principles. So he says this, verse 13, Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. I'll lie down until morning. So she lays down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Think for a moment, why did she get up while it was still dark? Why? Because she was a person of character. I don't think she wanted to bring any reproach on Boaz if it didn't happen. She didn't want anybody to think wrong if it didn't happen. Give the wrong impression. She's willing to get up, and not only get up because of that, because she was industrious. Then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, Bring the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she held it out, she shoveled, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into town. Sent her away, filled with food and ready to share with her mother-in-law, Naomi. What a picture of faith, of follow-through, of fixing your eyes on Jesus to do what's right. <clears throat> and you're going to see that God rewards faithfulness. God rewards obedience. What a, what a story. I know that in my life, there's been times where I've wanted to say, I'm going to do it my way. And it has caused nothing but headache. And then there's been times where I said, okay, God, I don't know what in the world you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. And he is rewarded. Because God always rewards faithfulness, obedience. How's it in your life? What does God want you to learn from the story? Day-to-day -day faith? Follow through on advice? Or fixing your eyes on God? Maybe a combination of all those but know that God's in control. God is in control.